the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. Portions have been pre-recorded, but we are live. A lot of places uh, are uh, not in today. We are. We are here for you. 602-508-0960. A lot of travel going on. If you're driving, I heard someone from AAA saying it's going to be a huge driving um, driving day, uh, particularly starting after uh, about 12 noon today, about three hours ago. So please be safe. If you're flying, I guess I think we should say what, David? Be decent. Be polite. Be patient. Speaking of virtues, there's a word we used to use around here I haven't used in a while. Durable. We focused on the durables here. The word comes from the Latin durabilis, which means the lasting or the permanent. John Locke, in an essay on education, once put it that the hard and the hard and valuable part of life is to be aimed at in education, and not the little arts of shifting. Shifting is the opposite of durable. I got the lesson from something Professor Hadley Arcus once wrote about his observations after first touring the Holocaust Museum in Washington D.C. He wrote. This is Hadley. As we walked through the museum, we took a turn, suddenly coming upon a scene encountered by, encountered by many other visitors to the museum, a vast vat filled with shoes. They were the shoes of the victims, collected by the Nazis as they sought to extract anything they could use again or sell. And what came flashing back instantly at that moment were the searing lines of Justice John McClane in his dissenting opinion in the Dred Scott case. Quote, You may think that the black man is merely chattel, but he bears the impress of his maker and is amenable to the laws of God and man, and he is destined to an endless existence. That was Justice McClane. Hadley writes, He has, the black man, in other words, a soul which is imperishable, it will not decompose when his material existence comes to an end. The sufficient measure of the things here is that the Nazis looked at their victims and thought the shoes were the real durables, not the souls, not the souls, S-O-U-L-S. As we go into Thanksgiving, all of this came flooding back to me as we were about to embark on a holiday about gratitude. This at a time of great or seemingly great selfishness or narcissism, as we spoke about yesterday. Consider Thanksgiving, after all, is the opposite, the diametric opposite of self-serving narcissism. And maybe that's why things seem so incongruent and disoriented just now. And it made an impression on me even more so, <clears throat> even more so, and that we shall be privileged to have with us a little bit later today, William J. Bennett, later in the show, discussing the 30th anniversary, the new edition of his landmark book, The Book of Virtues. Few things, after all, are more durable 
than virtues. One of the things I want to talk to Dr. Bennett about is the virtue of work. It's a chapter in his book. We talk a lot about it here. As you know, I've been worried about a lot of a lot I've been worried a lot about it lately. Not just the lacking and lagging work ethic, we've all heard the complaints about millennials and Generation Z, but now of the older crowd, too. I've mentioned the scholarship of Nicholas Eberstadt a bunch, and he recently concluded, while many are celebrating our official low unemployment rate, recall that rate only counts those actively looking for work. If all those who have dropped out of the labor force entirely are included in the calculus, rates of non-working men swell to Great Depression-era levels. 14% of prime-age men opt not to work or even look for it. Most of them in the ages of in their, in, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are simply not looking for work instead choosing to spend their time in front of screens and relying on a mix of family and government benefits to get by and gobbling a lot of opioids. Half of all these men are addicted to painkillers. Meanwhile, the greatest threat to life of this age cohort is not COVID. It is, rather, drug overdose, drug poisoning. Pardon the phraseology, but good work that. We've ruined the work ethic here. I spoke a bunch about this during the shutdowns during COVID, and it's still worth talking and thinking about, especially as one of the virtues in the Book of Virtues is, as I mentioned, in fact, work. Here's what Dr. Bennett writes in the new introduction about work. What are you going to be when you grow up is a question about work. What is your work in the world going to be? What will be your works? These are not fundamentally questions about jobs and pay, but questions about life. Work is applied effort. It is whatever we put ourselves into, whatever we expend our energy on for the sake of accomplishing or achieving something. Work in this fundamental sense is not what we do for a living, but what we do with our living, with our lives. Parents and teachers both work at the upbringing of children, but only teachers receive paychecks for it. The housework of parents is real work, though it brings in no revenue. The schoolwork, homework, and teamwork of children are all real work, though the payoff is not in dollars. A child's household chores may be accompanied by an allowance, but they are not done for an allowance. They're done because they need to be done. The opposite of work is not leisure or play or having fun, but idleness, maybe sloth, not investing ourselves in anything. Even sleeping can be a form of investment if it is done for the sake of a future activity. But sleep like amusement can also be a form of escape, oblivion sought for its own sake rather than for the sake of renewal. It can be a waste of time. It can suck time. Leisure activity or play or having fun, on the other hand, can involve genuine investment of the self and not be a waste of time at all. We want our children to flourish, to live well and fare well. We want them to be happy. And happiness, as Aristotle long ago pointed out, resides in activity, both physical and mental. It resides in doing things that one can take pride in doing well and hence that one can enjoy doing. It is a great mistake to identify enjoyment with mere amusement or relaxing or being enter entertained. 
Life's greatest joys are not what one does apart from the work of one's life, but with the work of one's life. Those who have missed the joy of work, of a job well done, have missed something very important. This applies to adults as well as to our children, too. When we want our children to be happy, we want them to enjoy life. We want them to find and enjoy their work in the world. How do we help prepare our children for lives like that? Once again, the keys are practice and example. Practice in doing various things that require a level of effort and engagement compatible with some personal investment in the activity and the examples of our own lives. The first step in doing things is learning how to do them. And learning how to turn on the television doesn't count, though learning how to turn it off might. Good habits of personal hygiene and helping with meals or bed making or laundry or caring for pets or any other such household chores all require learning. All can be done well or poorly. All can be done cheerfully and with pride or grudgingly and with distaste. And which way we do them is really up to us. It is a matter of choice. That is perhaps the greatest insight that the ancient Roman Stoics championed for humanity. There are no menial jobs, only menial attitudes, and our attitudes are up to us. It is something we can control. If we can control nothing else, we can control our attitudes. Parents show their children how to enjoy doing the things that have to be done by working with them, by encouraging and appreciating their efforts, and by the witness of their own cheerful and conscientious example. And since the possibility for happy and productive lives are largely opened up for youth by the quality and extent of their education, parents who work most effectively at providing their offspring with that and with what it takes to lead flourishing lives tend to take education very seriously. We took education very seriously this past Tuesday. Candidates that spent a lot of time on it saw how seriously the rest of us took it, too. Work is effort applied towards some end. The most satisfying work involves directing our efforts towards achieving ends that we ourselves endorse as worthy expressions of our talent and our character. Volunteer service work, if it is genuinely voluntary and exercises our talents in providing needed service, is typically satisfying in this way, and no doubt many of you will spend some time doing that tomorrow as well. Youth need experience in this kind of work. It is a good model for our working lives. Any day, anyway, we'll discuss it all a little bit with Dr. Bennett later. In the meantime, as we head into Thanksgiving, we are here. Anything on your mind? But as we commence the holiday season, I'm just delighted we can do so with a focus on the important things, the lasting, the durables, starting with gratitude, its own great rebuke to the narcissism that I think plagues so much of us right now. Gratitude isn't or isn't yet, but it should be a durable as well. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Turning Point USA is bringing America's biggest freedom party to Phoenix this December 17th through the 20th at the Phoenix Convention Center. America Fest 2022 features some of the biggest names in the movement, 
like Charlie Kirk and Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Kaylee McEnany, and more. There'll be nightly concerts featuring music legends Riley Green, Chase Rice, Ray Lynn, and more. Don't miss the largest celebration of our constitutional rights and freedoms in America. And don't worry, as I am about to give a free pair of VIP tickets away, if you don't win them, you can buy them online at amfest.com. We have special discounts for 960 The Patriot listeners. Use code PATRIOT when checking out at at amfest.com to get 50% off your tickets. And right now, I'm going to give two VIP tickets away. We we, uh, are delighted to be able to do that. It gives you the VIP tickets, give you access to the general sessions, of course, the VIP VIP lounge access and a reserved seating area. If you call 602-508-0960, we are delighted to give you those two free VIP tickets on us. Again, if you didn't, go to amfest.com to get 50% off your tickets. That's A-M-F-E-S-T dot Com. Delighted to be able to uh, partner with Turning Point USA to do all of that. Um, yesterday, we were talking about things the media rushes to and gets wrong. You will see some of that um, in how this awful shooting at Walmart in Virginia was reported. You will see some of that. And how long it took to get the information most of us were actually interested in getting. We saw this for days on end, days on end, when the mass shooting, the terrible mass shooting at a Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub took place. And um, we had politician after politician blaming opponents of the transgender movement on it, only to learn now that the shooter himself or herself, I don't know what to do with this and the pronouns, was this, is non-binary, claims to be non-binary. It's amazing how fast that line disappeared. It's amazing. And it's part and parcel of a lot of the news that just gets made up. Where does our movement go? Where does the conservative movement go to get its good name back? It's like people who are charged with an indictment only to have it found to be nothing, or perhaps a former president whose house is invaded under the pretext of concealing nuclear secrets, only to find out there was nothing to it. Where do they go for their names back? Where do we go for our names back? Kyle Becker has a list, running list, of things the media just gets so wrong because they can't help themselves and think the narrative must be so, and if it isn't so, they will make it so. Russian collusion... Trump calling neo-Nazis fine people, Jesse Smollett, Baba Wallace garage pull, Covington kids, Kavanaugh rape, the Trump P tape, COVID lab leak was a conspiracy theory, border agents whipping migrants, yes, the nuclear secrets at Mar-a-Lago, the Steele dossier, 
the Russian bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, the Muslim travel ban, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation, Andrew Cuomo as the best COVID leader in the country, Trump building cages for migrant kids, Trump uh, uh, Trump overfeeding fish in Japan, Build Back Better paying for itself, Trump tax cuts benefiting only the rich, cloth masks preventing COVID. If you get vaccinated, you won't catch COVID. If you get vaccinated, you won't be hospitalized from COVID. If you get vaccinated, you won't spread COVID. If you get vaccinated, you won't die from COVID. SUV killed parade marchers. The SUV killed parade marchers. Trump uses tear gas to clear a crowd for a Bible photo. Don't say gay was actually a piece of legislation or in a bill. Inflation and oil shortages are due to Vladimir Putin. Ivermectin is nothing more than a horse dewormer, not meant for humans. Protests were mostly peaceful. Officer Sicknick was murdered by protesters. BYU students hurled racist insults at a Duke volleyball player. On and on and on the list unremittingly and unrelentingly goes. Honesty and truth were virtues, too, or should have been. And they used to kind of be the calling card of the journalistic class and the journalist's profession. Used to be. Used to be. Also used to be that corrections were... Widely distributed, widely publicized. Now they just kind of drop the story altogether and drop the narrative altogether when they aren't propagandizing. Did you see the ladies on The View two days ago? Hamas? Hamas and ISIS, depending on who you ask, is it our terrorist organizations? Depending on who you ask. Depending on who you ask. Well, depending on what you read... Depending on what you watch is the measure of which how well you will or will not be informed. Misinformation is a problem. Barack Obama was right to say that sentence six months ago. The Atlantic Monthly was right to have a conference on it at the University of Chicago right about the same time six months ago. Misinformation and disinformation is a problem. It's just that It's a problem that the left keeps propagating and perpetuating over and over again. And it's the correction. It's the dissent. It's the raising of the hand says, um, wait a minute, that they label as misinformation and disinformation. This, too, is a disorientation. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Speaking of um, misinformation and disinformation, you know, so much of it comes from the government. Journalists used to understand that. You know, that was kind of the journalist's profession was questioning the man, as they said, questioning the government, Um, not aping government talking points. And if you want to think about government spread misinformation – we got it throughout COVID, and they will not give it up. We mentioned this briefly yesterday, but John Hinderocker takes a dive on it, to, uh, a new dive into it today, and I think it's it's worth repeating. By the way, if I read this right yesterday, if any of you saw that press conference with uh, Doctor Jha, our Surgeon General, and 
Anthony Fauci and Karen Jean-Pierre. If I read it right, it was Dr. Fauci's last press conference. That's something to be thankful for. It really is. Uh, I don't I, I don't I don't want that kind of nonsense and misinformation lorded over us ever again. That ethic and ethos ruined a country and ruined a lot of lives, a lot of lives in the name of expertise, in the name of supercilious and haughty expertise that was lorded over us. And I guess they just can't let it go. The Surgeon General, I'll play it again, Dr. Ja, yesterday. An important part of the conversation we have in the days and weeks ahead. Because here's what we know. If folks get their updated vaccines and they get treated, they have a breakthrough infection. We can prevent essentially every COVID death in America. Do you realize how stupid that is? If they get their boosted vaccines, if they get their boosters, their vaccines... We can, and if they have a breakthrough infection and get treated, we can prevent every COVID death in America. How about if they don't get the boosted vaccine? How about if they don't get the vaccine, they get COVID and get treated? Maybe we can save every death in America, too. Kevin Roche writes, for months in Minnesota, over 70 percent of all event infections, hospitalization, hospitalizations and death have been in the vax and boosted communities. Deaths in particular are heavily concentrated in the boosted, which is partly an age effect, but it is either complete ignorance or just flat-out lying to say what Dr. Ja, the Surgeon General, said. It is amazing to me that almost three years in, these guys still think they can get away with this nonsense. There's a piece over at Substack, Hinderocker highlights, the public health czar has completely lost the plot. He quotes Dr. Shaw, the real leaders of American medicine are out there telling you that you need to go get a vaccine. You can decide to trust America's physicians or you can trust some random dude on Twitter, the Surgeon General said. Truly, trusting just about any random dude on Twitter would likely serve anyone better than the advice of Brown University's greatest embarrassment, current Biden administration, COVID czar, Aishish Jha. And the actual experts have been calling this out for what seems like ages. There's a meme going around that 97% of scientists agree with whoever is funding them. The other 3% are banned from social media. Speaking of being banned from social media, John goes on. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford was a co-author of the Great Barrington Declaration and has proved to be right regarding just about everything relating to COVID. But being prematurely right is dangerous. Dr. Bhattacharya said that his life became a living hell after he dissented from the dogmas announced by Anthony Fauci. He got no support from Stanford and concluded that academic freedom is dead. He said, quote, they systematically tried to make it seem like everyone agreed with their ideas about COVID policy when in fact there was deep disagreement among scientists and epidemiologists about the right strategy. That's why we wrote the the Great Barrington Declaration to tell the public that there was this disagreement. There was an alternative set of policies available. And speaking of the execrable Dr. Fauci, when it comes to questions about the origin of COVID, an origin for which Fauci himself may be in part responsible. He still has no answers. You go and look at that press conference yesterday. 
That's just about the only thing the room wanted to know from him at his last press conference. And it's the only thing Karen Jean-Pierre said we will not be talking about here. Who's the threat to democracy, huh? I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and it still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold probably already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Enter the Midas Gold Group. They're veteran-owned and veteran-staffed and proud supporters of this show right here on 960 The Patriot. They're fighting for your right to the financial privacy and stability that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of our listeners know and trust. That's the Midas Gold Group. Visit them in person. It's 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix, or call 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000, or online at MidasGoldGroup.com, MidasGoldGroup.com. I um, I had mentioned uh, a couple days ago, I think it was, that a uh, journalist uh, was doing, it's a funny sports journalist, uh, was doing a profile of me. I know about as much about sports as the average housewife, but... Uh, is about me and the radio show. It's up, and you can get it if you want. Uh, there's some links to it on Twitter. Um, or you can go to BarrettSportsMedia.com, BarrettSportsMedia.com. Barrett is B-A-R-R-E-T-T, SportsMedia.com. One of the interesting things we end the interview on is my definition of conservatism. He, he actually misquotes me, and that's it's all right. I says I say freedom and equality. He has me saying freedom and equity. But I think most of you who know me know I wouldn't be using the word equity. I used the word equality. Nonetheless, uh, pretty good um, interview, I think. And um, it, it is interesting to me that he asked about the definition of conservatism. What does conservatism stand for? We get into it a bit. And there's an equally interesting piece uh, by Chris DeMuth over in the Wall Street Journal asking Amer- uh, a- asking what America's right is confronting in the 21st century. So we'll um, we'll get into that in a few moments. Always the most important voice is yours. Smitty, hello, Smitty. How are you? He left us. Sorry. Smitty is not there. Um, let me go to uh, let me go to the Chris DeMuth piece then over at the Wall Street Journal. He writes, political conservatism has general characteristics, notably prudence, practicality, and respect for settled traditions and institutions. But conservatives bring these dispositions to bear in a variety of times and places. The American experience is a vivid example of how conservatism adapts to a particular national circumstance. American conservatism isn't in thrall to the status quo. That's a great word, enthrall. It's a great word. Do you know what it means? You know where its derivation is? It's enslaved. We have always been a nation of bustling aspiration and earnest self-criticism, perpetually seeking to remake the status quo. Conservatives have been striving and critical as their neighbors disconsented with the, discontented with the circumstances at hand and impatient to set things right. Our founders set the pattern. Intent on conserving a century of colonial traditions and self-government, they fought a revolution, then tore up their constitution and wrote a radically new one. 
The only exception since then has been the Harding and Coolidge administrations in the 1920s whose rallying cry was normalcy. Even then, Calvin Coolidge was a zealous reformer of taxing and spending. Kind of interesting, step back from the op-ed for a moment, when you think about perhaps the greatest desire even today still that might unite all conservatives, disparate movement that we are, is just a return to normalcy, what Calvin Coolidge was speaking of. Consider the 1950s, DeMuth writes, a time of political stability, government restraint, and wide embrace of family, religion, and public civility. Those were the years when the modern conservative movement was founded by William F. Buckley and his agitated band of Catholic traditionalists, anarcho-libertarians, disaffected Marxists, and Southern agrarians. These weren't stand patters. They saw contented America as on the road to serfdom and foreign domination. Today we are in a new era of conservative discontent, DeMuth writes. The national conservatives are at the ramparts against the new status quo of woke progressivism in government, the military, business, education, culture, and media. Many of them are also dismissive of some of our conservative bulwarks, like William Buckley and Company and Ronald Reagan and their legacy of journals, think tanks, and policy doctrines that became settled Washington establishment by the 2000s and 2010s. In their view, that establishment was complicit in progressivism's political ascent. American conservatism became unduly attached to libertarian individualism, unfettered markets, and free trade as ends in themselves, which helped set the stage for anything-goes cultural corruption, the decline of community, family, religion, and the rise of global corporations and institutions that decimated the American heartland. When the national conservatives first appeared following Donald Trump's 2016 election, establishment conservatives struck back forcefully. The newbies, they said, were abandoning age-old conservative commitments to individual liberty, free enterprise, and limited government for a loose and dangerous commitment to the common good and fantasizing about an integration of government and religion that would subvert American pluralism. But in recent years, DeMuth writes, the new and old conservative camps have begun to consider each other's arguments. It has helped that political events have forced them to turn from abstract philosophical questions to immediately practical ones. What should be our next steps following the Supreme Court's decision on abortion, guns, the administrative state, and religion in public schools? How should we counter the indoctrination of school children in the insidious ideologies of racial essentialism, environmental catastrophism, and transgenderism. Let me pause for a moment before I forget it, because we forget too easily. A lot of us aren't happy with the election outcomes of two Tuesdays ago. With all, with, with all the unhappiness, don't forget some of the great victories. Not only from two Tuesdays ago, to be sure, but I'm remembering... In the summer, the Claremont Review of Books, a celebration of how important it was, what a big victory it was, that perhaps one of the things that united conservatism in America, or at least 80 to 90 percent of conservatism in America, that had been efforted and worked on and labored for and marched on 
for nigh 30 years was accomplished in the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Don't forget how big and monumental a success that was. If nothing else happened this year, wouldn't that 30-plus year effort be worth a lot of gratitude? A lot? A lot. Yes, it should be. Don't forget the wins. Don't forget the wins. Don't rest on those laurels, but don't forget them either. DeMuth writes, an organic feature of our national experience helps explain how conservatives are regrouping in response to today's upheavals. I'll come back on that when we come back from this break. If you're concerned with stock market volatility, why refi has a solution. It's an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it. Whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate, up to 10.25% rate of return. That's 10 and a quarter percent return. A due diligence approved firm. And check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Make sure and tell my friends at YREFI that I sent you. We're talking about this piece Chris DeMuth has, long piece in Wall Street Journal, how the American right is changing um, conservatism and how conservatism might be changing with it. He writes that an organic feature of our national experience helps explain how conservatives are regrouping in or regrouping to today's upheavals. American culture is always American culture has always been at once strongly libertarian, individualist and pluralistic, yet also strongly communitarian, moralist and religious. Our spirit of rugged individualism has been conjoined with and often a source of our spirit of common destiny and moral obligation and our talent for association and community. The Mayflower Compact, Pat, help, <laughs> help me. <laughs> the Mayflower Compact was an agreement among Christian adventurers to make their own just and equal laws for their common good. The religious great awakening of the early 18th century emphasized democratic equality, personal responsibility, and self-mastery, laying the groundwork for the revolution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution. In the years before the Declaration, two images of the American rattlesnake appeared on flags and in newspapers and went viral as icons of our emerging national consciousness. On a, One was a libertarian snake, which captioned, Don't Tread on Me. The other a communitarian snake segmented to represent the individual colonies, and it read, join or die. The Great Awakening of the early 19th century emphasized moral obligation, was a vital impetus to the abolition of slavery and an expansion of individual liberty. Modern conservative leaders like Buckley and Reagan were both libertarian and socially conservative, thought the combination perfectly natural, and attracted enormous followings. I still do. I still define conservatism as an economics of liberty and a sociology of virtue. I would love to hear what you think it is or how you would define it. I just don't think it's that hard. I'm Seth Leapson. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.